as we begin, uh, today is Pentecost, uh, where you're celebrating the descent of the Holy Spirit uh, on the disciples uh, of Jesus Christ. Um, This was after his ascension, and it's held the seventh Sunday after Easter. I think it's a great reminder that we get to remember that, and I think we have to do this at times, we have to look back and remember. We look back and we remember Christmas. We know what that means. We go back and remember Easter. And we look back and we can also remember the giving of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus. The same Holy Spirit that was in the disciples. The same one that was in the disciples is with you if you're a believer. How amazing is that? And we have to look back and remember that. We talk so many times about how the flesh is strong. Holy Spirit's stronger. Holy Spirit Spirit is stronger than the flesh. And praise the Lord for that. And it's a battle. I'm not telling you that. It's not a battle. Because we are human. We are flawed. But we have the Holy Spirit. And we need to lean into that. We need to grab it and not let go. So what a great day. What a great day to remember. Today we're going to be talking about attendance mutiny, okay? Uh, When I hear mutiny, I think of one thing because my girls love Peter Pan. (laughs) Peter Pan, Jake and the Neverland Pirates, and when I start thinking of mutiny, I think of Captain Hook and the Pirates, right? You got Tinkerbell, you got the whole group of when there's a mutiny, you go to the pirates and someone trying to overthrow the captain of the ship. And we're going to talk about that today, about authority and overthrowing. And we're going to be reading Mark 12 today. And to help illustrate that, I'm going to have the kids come up and they're going to uh, illustrate part of this. And uh, hopefully this goes okay. So as always, it's an adventure. Okay, awesome, great, man, you guys look so much better than I do, okay, which is a great sign, okay, okay, awesome, I'm going to need all of you guys to come a little bit over here, come by me, okay, and then I'm going to need a mature adult, so Doug, come on up, <laughs> so, so, uh, so we're going to slowly act this out okay you guys stay right here um doug yes perfect uh that's why i knew i could trust you uh okay i'm gonna be jesus is telling a parable okay he's telling a story and he's explaining it right here so this is the parable this is great a man planted a vineyard okay So you're going to be the owner, okay? So Doug's the owner. You're going to pretend to plant a vineyard. There he goes. Nicely done. He put wall around it. Nice. It's 
not a tall wall, but that's good. <laughs> he, dug, he dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. <laughs> yeah! Yeah! <laughs> It's a, good, it's a good owner. He did, he did the work. He's built this, and he built the watchtower. Then he decided to rent the vineyard out to some farmers. So what I'm going to have is I'm going to have you five right here. You guys back up over here. You five are the farmers. So you're going to go over here, and you guys are going to farm the land from the owner. Good, good. Okay, the owner, the owner goes away. <laughs> So they're, wow, they're working really hard. I like it. They're really good. Okay. At harvest time, the owner sends a servant to go to get some fruit. Okay? So I'm going to have you get sent. Go to the owner. Okay, you guys are still working. You guys are still working. Trying to burn energy. Good. Okay. So, the, so then the servant comes to the farmers to get some fruit, okay? There you go. Okay, okay, you guys stop. No, oh no, you don't give them fruit, okay? Now this is the part of the story that that would make sense. But, okay, at this point, do not be nice. We're not doing this. At this point, what they actually do is they seize the servant and they actually hurt the servant they beat her do not that's what i was afraid perfect pretending you're two feet away good job and they send the servant away empty-handed so it goes back to the owner and they got no fruit no fruit so then they send another one okay so you go there jason go over there they send another servant and another servant goes and they do not give this person, and they too beat <laughs> and send back empty-handed. Okay, Isaiah, okay, go ahead. And then they sent another one. Okay, Isaiah, go ahead. And this time they kill us. They kill. <laughs> Isaiah, Isaiah. <laughs> You, you, uh, you don't make it. There you go. There you go. Good job. There you go. <laughs> he fought back hard, though. I like it. Good. Okay. So, I'm going to have you come. And you're going to pretend. That was awesome. So, the owner said, I have, I'm going to send my son. I'm not going to send my son. I'm going to send my heir. I'm going to send my son to place. He had one son left to send, a son whom he loved. And he sent him last of all saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants huddled up, huddled up. Nice. And they said, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they took the son and they killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Uh, <laughs> uh. A dramatic death. There you go. That is where we're going to leave the part of the story. Will you give it up for everyone?
the owner, everyone, good job. You guys could go ahead and sit back down. Good job. Be careful. And then go make sure you can get your little forms to help fill out, too. So verse 9, though, uh, really leads into what most of us I thought. I loved uh, some of the acting out because when, when the first servant came, some of the farmers wanted to give it, you know, like naturally that would make sense. So in the story, you know, all of a sudden how you sort of feel when they say they send away empty handed. So what happens in verse nine says, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read the passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. First of all, for a lot of parables, this is a pretty straightforward, straight-hand, understandable parable because you can even tell the chief priest at the end know what the story's saying. They want to arrest him. We'll get into more of that later. But this is a, a, a clear definition of what is going on in the eyes of the chief priest. They know what's happening, and they know what's going on in the story. It's actually a great callback, and we're going to go back to Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. And as you, uh, well, that should be up on the screen, but if you want to go to that, we're going to be there as well. Because point number one is the vineyard. We need to know what the, what's going on at the vineyard. Isaiah 5, 1 through 7 says this. says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one has a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it on the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. As you can tell, you can start hearing similar what is happening. Jesus knows what he's doing. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judea, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I'm going to take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will condemn the command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judea are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but only saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. It's a great example of, of what a vineyard is supposed to be. There's a, a school um, that was meant for elementary kids. And every time the recess bell went out, kids would go out and they were super excited. And they would go out inside, outside this, uh, this building uh, of their school, but 
50 yards away was a, was a street where cars would go by. And yeah, of course it had the sign that says go 20 miles per hour during school time. But you know people don't always listen to that, correct? And so 50 yards. So every time they started doing a study, they started realizing that most of the kids were just hang out more by the wall. Because teachers had to stop them because they didn't want a ball to go into the street. They didn't want anything to go out there, so they had to protect. So they were looking at, of all the grass and all the ground that they were actually using, they were only using 30% of what they could really use because the kids were always near the wall. They couldn't go out. They were not using their full potential. And then all of a sudden, they decided to put up a fence put a fence right alongside the road, right up there so the kids could go all the way. How much more land did the kids were able to use? They were able to use 100%. I think sometimes when we, we see this vineyard of setting this up, sometimes we think it as restricting. It is actually freeing us up. It could free us up when we are in the proper place God wants us to be when we are protected, when the head, but when we are outside. And this is a great example of what the vineyard uh, is of Israel. But at times we can be on the outside. And we need to realize that we too are protected. There's beauty. What is amazing is that is God continues to make beauty when there's chaos. You see that from Genesis 1, where the Spirit's hovering in the water, Right? And he makes beauty. He makes land. He makes it. He does that constantly. And even when we see a, a, a road that's right next to a school, and not, there could still be beauty. It can be used properly. And, I, and that's a huge thing that we're going to be discussing today is be, things being done well to produce fruit. As it looked then, if we go back to verse 1, a man planted, we talked about the owner, and he rented to some farmers, okay? And at harvest time, he sent the tenants to collect from some of the fruit, but they seized him, beat him, and left him empty-handed. Okay, so most people would view that this is probably the fourth year that the owner's sending back a servant, okay? Why do they say that, Okay. They would say that because Leviticus 19, 23, 25 shows how Jewish people are to actually produce the land. It says this, when you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years, you are to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all of its fruit will be holy. An offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. I am the Lord your God. There is sometimes, a lot of times in life, there is a process of time to make things right. We are in a society where we want it now. We have become a society where we can provide now. Time like anything, can make you stronger, but time can also make you impatient. Time can let the mind place tricks on you. You can start to believe a lie and let it grow and stew over and over. 
Have any of you ever gotten an argument with your significant other? One. Okay, good. I'm surprised my wife didn't raise both hands. No. Uh, have you ever been in an argument? Correct? Yes. You've been in an argument with someone, that someone that you would say you loved. And it's so funny, you've probably forgiven them about something, but then all of a sudden they've done something that's wronged you, and you can remember something back from 15 years ago, and all of a sudden bring back all that stuff back to the relationship. There's been time, but it's still there. It is seeped in. Just like if I right now, after service, go work out really hard for two hours and I do a great workout, you're not going to see a huge difference. You're just going to see a man that really hurts. Ah, ah. Just like if I go tomorrow or to afterwards, instead of doing that, I eat five cheeseburgers and they're delicious. But and even put some fries and eat a bunch of food. Yeah, I'm going to feel bloated, but like you're not going to see like a huge difference. But what happens if I start doing that every day? You can, you can start seeing a difference. You'll start seeing a difference. If I worked out two hours every day, you might see a difference. If I ate five cheeseburgers every day with cake and all that, you're going to see a difference. And it might not be instantaneous, but it's going to show up at some point where you start to notice. And, and this is what has happened. They've been asked to do a time, and I find it really interesting that the tenants start thinking of time that they own something that, that is not theirs. They start believing a lie. They start buying into something that is not true. As Wiersbe says it, and he talks about this, he says, to retain his legal right of the property, that's the owner, the owner had to receive produce from the tenants. Even if it was only some of the vegetables that grew between the rows of trees uh, and the vines. This explains why the tenants refused to give him anything. They wanted to claim the vineyard for themselves. At this point, it was a question of authority and ownership. Doesn't that compute for us today? And when the owner sends his servants, they seize him and they beat him and they send him away empty-handed because they believe at that moment they are battling for the land for them it to be theirs. Then they send, an, uh, send another, the owner sent another man and they struck him in the head and treated him shamefully. And they sent another and they even killed them. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. And then he only had one left to send, his son, whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out in the vineyard. Number two, point number two, the rejected. The rejected. From the garden, since Adam, since the sin has entered the world, God has been on a mission to, to restore humans, make a relationship right in a sinful world. You had Noah. The world was given over to sin. Abraham, after the Tower of Babel, God chose Abram. Moses led the people out of Egypt. And then there are so many with what happened with the prophets. 
the prophets. Isaiah walked around naked prophesying. Jeremiah wore a yoke bar over his neck. Hosea had to marry a prostitute. Ezekiel ate a scroll. He lied on his side for 390 days. He cooked his food over a fire of manure, prophesied over dry bones that came to life. And there's many more. Elijah, you had John the Baptist, who was beheaded. It's a great, you think about it, all these had to go through, they were signs. We talked about it downstairs, and this was a great example of the owner checking on his property. And checking in in such a way to say, hey, this is how we should do things. This is how we're going to get fruit. This is the best way to run things. And God continued to send prophets to Israel. And Israel did these things to the people. Beat them, killed them, pushed them to the side. And continued, God continued to send the proper instruction. The thing is, it's just like in the story where the son is Jesus. Jesus is the final messenger. There's no one left that God's going to send as the messenger. God in the flesh, the cornerstone, the grace of God, whom God loved. So God had sent, uh, said the owner sent all the, them, but then he said, I'm going to send my son. I'm like, who am I in love? And the son's going to go. Jesus is the final messenger. We're gonna, I'm going to play this video of, uh, it's William Lane Craig, and he's in a debate with this atheist. And this atheist assume, says that all the counts of the resurrection, all the counts of the resurrection are hallucinations. Okay? And then William Lane Craig said, well, is there one thing, basically, that you can, like, would work to like prove that God is real, and this is sort of the interaction. So, one of these extraordinary claims. It made it sound like to me you were saying that nothing would convince you, oh, no matter no, what. No, all sorts of things would convince me. Well, with respect to the resurrection, though, I mean, you you even said if there was a video camera, you'd say it was a fake stone that was mm -hmm. rolled away. You know, I mean, what <laughs> what sort of what would be, sort the, of, would be the more reasonable hypothesis under the but, circumstances? Well, but see, that's what I fear. It is. It's, uh -huh. just an, it's just an a priori rejection of the miraculous here. You're, you're not, there isn't any kind of literary testimony, historical testimony that mm -hmm. could convince you. So once again, this extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence in no way implies a bias against the supernatural. It's well, simply, it's sim it it's simply uh, an application of a rule which we use in our daily lives. But, but you're saying that these, when you say extraordinary, really what you're saying is no amount of evidence would co convince me of these extraordinary claims. Sure it would. If uh, tomorrow morning, immediately after breakfast, Suddenly there was an earthquake, you know, and a silvery light shone in the sky and the leaves dropped from the trees. And I dashed outside and there towering over us like a hundred Everest was this giant figure with lightning playing around his Michelangeloid face. And he pointed down and saying, be assured, Keith M. Parsons, that I do in fact exist and I'm sick of your logic chopping. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Craig, I would join you in the pew of the church. In the you? front view of the church the next Sunday. Yeah, you, uh, so, uh, you know. Be going to the question and answer period. We're going to go to the question and answer period, so we'll be going you, to the microphone you, as we you don't wind think, this down. You don't think that you would have said, 
Boy, I was having a hallucination. <laughs> The reason why I like that is because at some point, some people will always find an excuse. They'll find it and say, well, these are the parameters that have to be reached for me to be able to be like, this is when I, this is when I will do what God's asked me to do. This is the point. And why, the, why is that so important? Because the, Jesus is the final messenger. There's, not, there's no other prophet after Jesus. There's no other, hey, there's this other way to go. There's this other out. The only way is through Jesus Christ. Jesus, God had used all these prophets, and now it has been to the final Son of God. He had sent, and they had sent him. And then when we look at it in verse 9, as I talked earlier, what will the owner do? We all know what the owner is going to do. Because we all know that's what... We, we, the owner knows, you killed my son. You've killed all my prophets. You've done, you know, the owner's going to come in and clean house. He's going to get new tenants. He will come and kill the tenants and give the owner of the vineyard to others. And then I love what he talks about here. He goes, haven't you read the passage of scripture? The stone of the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. At this moment, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, know that, he, they are, uh, that he's talking about them. Because it says in verse 12 that they wanted to go and arrest him. They wanted to go, they were done with him. They knew that they were being talked about. God, though, says that he is going to come in and destroy him, and that these builders rejected what the rejected had been the cornerstone. Wearsby puts it, the stone was a well-known symbol for the Messiah. The servant judge announced a double verdict. They had not only rejected the sign, but they had also refused the stone. They were going, they, there could only be one consequence, judgment. Now, you have to realize a cornerstone is a, is a big deal. It's like anything uh, when you're building you need to know what material you're using, okay? This is not just going out there, and I loved how Doug actually went and got like a stone, like, and actually set it there, because that's a much more than just, they're not just going out there looking for stones and just like, hey, I'm just going to do it. The cornerstone, as you could tell uh, by the picture, is a, is a, ch a stone that's going to carry a lot of the weight, most of the weight, because it's at the end. It had to be a stone that would be looked over, the angles had to be correct. It had to be able to carry the weight. It couldn't just be a, a, a stone that would break because the whole thing would tumble in on it. This is a, a piece that had been looked over, looked over, and been chosen. And what they're saying is they looked over, looked over Jesus, and they rejected it. Just like the video is showing, it could, he could look over, look over, but he's going to reject it. Could have the perfect stone right in front, but reject it. How many people in our lives do that? How many people in our lives do that? It is rejected. So you're probably asking yourself, yeah, why, why are we going through this today? Why are, why are we talking about something that is a parable for 
the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. They were the ones that rejected Jesus. We have to look at why they rejected him. And that leads to point number three, why mutiny? Why a mutiny? Going back to Peter Pan, at the Peter Pan, the pirates, why is there a mutiny in this? And I think I have three reasons that I want to help give. First one Brad helped me see, and I, I really uh, uh, thank him for it, is relationship turned to a transaction. The relationship turned to a transaction. Has your relationship with God turned to a transaction? I'll do this, God, if you do this. God, I'll pray. I'll do this. You see it all the time. I, I see even sports guys, oh, if we, if we win this game, God, I'll do this. I'll give everything. Is it a transaction? Because that was the relationship of the owner and the tenants. It was purely transaction. Number two, self-righteous. I got this. I don't need God. Look what I could do on my own. How many times do we do things before we pray? Before we go out? How many, do, how many times do we go to our friend before we go to the Bible? How many times do we go to ask someone else because it's easier? Go to YouTube instead of Scripture. It's the way of the world because we don't. We, we got this. We're self-sufficient. We're self-righteous. That's where they are. They, uh, they got this. They don't need God coming in, sending a servant to tell them how to do their job. They don't need anyone. How is that in our lives? And number three leads back to what was last week. They didn't want to bend the knee. What is really amazing is when the servants came back, when the servants of the owner come back, they have the authority of the owner. So whatever they did to the servants is what they were doing to the owner. We look at that today so much. A life of pride, selfishness, wanting to control your own life, do it on your own. How much of that stuff seeps in to our lives? And we don't want to bend the knee. I just started looking up some songs that were just some like uh, selfish songs. I'm not going to sing any of them, I promise. I'll do that to you. But like some of the songs are uh, like, I'll do what I want. I want it that way. It's the most you get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> my Prerogative by Britney Spears. It's My Life by Bon Jovi. I want to talk about me, Toby Keith. Bow Down by Beyonce Knowles. I can just guarantee you that's not uh, bowing down to Jesus. It's bowing down to 
and Big Shot, Billy Joel. There's so many song titles out there that, that lead into the selfishness, the self-aware of this about me. It's I'm going to bend the knee to only myself, no one else. And how do we get that? And it goes into so much where I put my precious. If you know what that is, it's a little scene from Lord of the Rings. It's just a little scene where, if you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, he's a normal man. And then he gets this ring of power, and it corrupts him over time. And the whole movie's about finding this ring. But all of a sudden, the ring starts becoming... It's funny, I'm sure uh, this had no point in, uh, in uh, Tolkien writing this book, uh, you know, about the corruption of pride and power in someone's life. And it distorted because that ring became his whole life. That ring became everything he lived for. That ring was pride, selfishness, power, greed. What area in your life do you have a precious? What area in your life are you refusing to hand over to God? We could take it to the vineyard. We could take it to this. They assumed that the land was theirs. God has given you land. Are you giving fruit back to God? Are you producing fruit? Are you investing it? Are you holding on to the ring? Are you holding on to it and saying, it's my precious. This is mine. I'm putting it in here, and it's going to distort. And people won't see the ring, won't do anything like that, and they won't even know it. But you know it, and you have it, let it control you. It's what's happening here. They are not giving to what God, is God's. The land is God's. The, the servants when the, God, when the servants are messengers from God. And if you are a follower of God, do you realize that you have the authority and power of God behind your back? So no matter if it kills you or whatever, God has you. I think so many times us as Christians have lost that, that power, not power of pride or self, but power that you are one with God. God has that. But I'm asking you, you cannot be a fully a servant if you're still holding on to the ring. If you're still holding on to things, you too are just like the Pharisees. You too will not repent and turn. <coughs> Our hearts can be hard. And we are not far from the Pharisees. If we aren't able to change to God's path, we are no different. When God wants us to change our produced fruit, we have to know that he is the owner and not us. And how can someone say they represent God and love God, but then they kill him? It wasn't the truth that they wanted. They distorted it. It believed with a small little lie. We do that too when God brings truth into our lives and we distort it. I'm going to close with this. So many times in our lives, we, God comes in and corrects us. And all of a sudden, we have a choice or opportunity to accept it, to change, or keep going the way we want. 
keep being the way we want. I'm asking you, don't do what the Pharisees and tenants did. Give the fruit to God. And all of it in the fifth year will be yours. I find this really interesting. We talked about giving of the fruit in the fourth year. But you can't forget what happens in the fifth year. In the fifth year, it says this. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. I am the Lord your God. We are selfish beings. Let us wait on the Lord, for he is good. And if you know that and you truly believe, then there is no rejection of the cornerstone. There is no my precious because you know and trust God. I'm asking you, wherever you're at today, if you're holding on to something, I'm asking you to give it back. If you uh, are part of the farmers and you've got to give something to God, give it today. And the opportunities are, you could go in the back at the next steps area and have someone pray for you. You can write it down saying, I'm giving this over. It might be like when I'm at work, I don't really care about anyone else except getting the job done. I don't care about anyone else's soul. I don't care about, I'm just getting the job done. And God might be convicting you right now. I don't know what God's convicting you, but I know that there are things in our lives that we must hand over, that we must give over. And I'm encouraging you, wherever that's at, don't be the tenant. Know whose land you're on. Know whose land you're working for. That is the encouraging word today. Because in the fifth year, you will be able to eat the fruit. Because you trusted and were patient with God. Let's pray. Dearly Father, I thank you so much for who you are. And as we sing this last song, may all the glory and honor come to you. And I just pray right now that you work on people's hearts. That you do the work. That you turn a soul. That you work the soil in someone's heart and mind. And I pray that if they are producing fruit, I encourage them to continue to enjoy it and to continue to rest in you. And if someone out there is not, I pray that they will be able to give up the ring that they'll hand it over to you we love and praise you and give you all the glory in Jesus name